A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And you'd be right, of course, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Chris Barton, who serves as Her Majesty's Trade Commissioner for Europe. We'll hear about his own story of faith and how it impacts his work making trade deals across the continent. And we'll hear what it was like to be involved directly within those Brexit negotiations. But before that, last week, Parliament debated whether the Prime Minister should be investigated by a committee of the House of Commons for lying to MPs and misleading the House. This is remarkable because the government failed to block or amend the motion for debate for the simple reason that despite having a big parliamentary majority, there weren't enough Conservative MPs willing to vote to defend the Prime Minister. It is also remarkable because this is the first time a serving Prime Minister has ever been referred for investigation in this way. The rules of the Commons require MPs to refer to each other as honourable members, and you cannot accuse a fellow MP of lying in Parliament because it is assumed that no honourable member would ever be dishonourable enough to do such a thing. But because last week's debate was specifically about the allegations that the Prime Minister had knowingly misled the House, the Speaker made an exception and allowed use of the L word. I took part in the debate and was struck by the amount of Christian language that was being used by members on both sides of the House. MPs talked of repentance, forgiveness and justice for wrongdoing. A number of Bible verses were quoted, including by me. It is clear that on key issues of morality, then, we still turn to the language of the Christian faith. It is sad that we've only reached this point of soul searching because of a crisis surrounding the character of the individual who holds the position of our prime minister. The concerns over his character are, I think, magnified because of the enormous sacrifices asked of the country over the last two years. During the debate, I was especially affected by and impressed with the speech made by Conservative MP Steve Baker, who had, of course, been a key figure in assisting Boris Johnson into the role of prime minister in the first place. Indeed, Steve will be our guest on the podcast in a few weeks time. Steve concluded that he could no longer support the Prime Minister because he saw no true contrition, no lasting change of attitude that would suggest real repentance. Now, I do not know how contrite the Prime Minister is. I do not know how sincere his repentance or his apology. Only he and God know that. One of the most radical and offensive things about Christianity is that forgiveness is available for everything and for everyone. Radical, offensive and utterly wonderful. However, even forgiven sins bear consequences. There's no doubt that God stands ready and willing to forgive Boris Johnson. Micah 7, 18 tells us that God delights to show mercy. And as Jesus cries out from the cross, it is finished. We remember that we have nothing to add to his saving work. Luke 19 tells us of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who was wealthy because he spent many years ripping everybody else off. When he encountered Jesus, he repented, and then he made recompense. He did more than just say sorry. He gave back four times the amount 
he had stolen. Accepting an apology does not mean that there is not still a consequence for both the offender and those offended against. There is a danger that the Prime Minister's actions could have an enduring impact on the reputation of Parliament and our politics. If he retains office, doesn't it set the bar for what is acceptable in our public life to a worryingly low level? Wouldn't it set a poor example to current and future MPs and indeed for everybody else? Many of us feel sure that if there were no consequences to the Prime Minister for his actions, it would show that it is acceptable to set rules for others and choose not to follow them yourself. In a democracy, we expect sometimes to be governed by those with whom we disagree. But those who behave in this way have surely lost the authority to continue in that role. Many people in our country no longer call themselves Christians, but we are still shaped by Christian values. As historian Tom Holland pointed out in his book, Dominion, to live in a Western country is to live in a society that is still utterly saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. All of us are fallen and flawed. And in these increasingly intolerant times, I am thankful that we are still saturated enough in Christian values to allow for debate in Parliament around forgiveness in public life. But let's not forget that justice and humility are also key Christian concepts, and our leaders are expected to exercise them. Paul tells us in Romans 13 that there is no authority except that which God has established. But God expects those in authority to behave honestly and with compassion for the people they rule. In the powerful words of Micah 6, we are told, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Whatever our political views, let us all pray for leaders who will live out these words and seek to serve our country with integrity. A mucky business with Tim Farron. To our guest, Chris Barton, Trade Commissioner for Europe. Chris, it's an absolute joy to have you with us. Let's kick off by asking you about your story of coming to faith. Great. Well, thank you very much, Tim. A huge pleasure to be here and to join this uh, programme. So I was very fortunate uh, to be brought up in a Christian household so that from my earliest years I was uh, taught to pray and uh, prayer has been a sort of mainstay and supporting guide for me throughout uh, my life. As a teenager I was also very fortunate to be uh, able to go to a number of uh, holiday parties uh, in the summers where I had the gospel explained to me really clearly and compellingly in a way that helped me to sort of understand and conceptualise my faith uh, much more clearly. Uh, and then uh, after a brief uh, a wobble at university, um, thereafter as a, uh, in my career, both as a teacher and then subsequently in the civil service, I've been able to be involved in some really great churches and have uh, a lot of uh, Christian friends and support who's uh, sort of helped me grow as a Christian over those years. And having left university, you went into teaching for quite a few years and you felt very much called into that. Uh, tell me a little bit about that time. Yeah, so it was a, a, a great time, five years teaching in, in a school in Derbyshire, which I, I very much uh, enjoyed uh, and had great opportunities actually from a Christian perspective as well. Uh, I helped run a, the Christian Union there and to run a number of Bible studies and was able to speak in, in a chapel. It was a, a, a school that had a chapel. So there were lots of opportunities uh, from the Christian perspective. 
Uh, I think it's also fair to say uh, it dawned on me that I wasn't the world's greatest teacher. Uh, <laughs> therefore, uh, probably was not my career for life, but I was really grateful to do it for, for a few years. And it's, uh, it's interesting, actually, I still sometimes bump into people uh, mm. that I taught. And just the other day, I uh, bumped into somebody that I used to, uh, was a pupil when I was there. And it was really encouraging to hear that even uh, you know, 20 uh, plus years afterwards, uh, it still had had an impact engaging on the Christian side, which is lovely. So how did you end up as a civil servant? How did that come about? Uh, the honest answer is I, I slightly fell into it. Um, I decided that I wanted to move on from uh, from teaching and I was speaking to a friend of mine who at the, at the time was a, a clerk in the House of Lords and saying, oh, I'm not sure teaching is, is for me. And he said, well, why don't you um, try the civil service? I never really thought about the civil service, but I thought, you know, why not? Let's have a look. And then the more I looked into it, the more I thought, actually, this looks fascinating, working uh, in government, working on a range of different uh, policy issues. And I went through the so various selection processes and was fortunate to, uh, to get through. Uh, and I have to say, I haven't sort of uh, looked back since. I really enjoyed it and had such a, a range of interesting uh, jobs to do during that time. So it's been very fortunate for me. But now being Trade Commissioner for Europe, which is a, a much bigger deal than perhaps it might have appeared when you first entered the role. T tell us, perhaps in 30 seconds, what the Trade Commissioner for Europe actually does. Sure. So essentially, my job is to encourage trade and investment between the UK and other European countries. I should say that's Europe in general, not just uh, European Union countries. Uh, mm. So primarily, it's about encouraging the uh, sale of UK products and services in Europe and also attracting inward investment from European companies into the UK. Now, obviously, as a, as a, as a civil servant, um, you're in that classic situation where you enact the policies of elected politicians. Do you ever find as a Christian that that's a challenge, that you end up having to put into practice things that you disagree with or are uncomfortable with? I would say, for, for my mind, I make an important distinction between uh, issues where I think there's a, a moral dimension, that it would be wrong to do something, and areas where I may have a sort of a different view as to what the, the best way to uh, proceed is, but it's not a mor moral issue. And I think that's a really important distinction mm. uh, in general and also as, as a civil servant. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate uh, to be in a situation that I, I don't think I've ever can recall having been uh, asked or put under pressure to do something which I thought was sort of morally wrong. Um, I certainly hope that if I was put in that position, I would be very clear that I, that I would not do that. Mm. Uh, I've certainly been in a position where I've uh, worked on a policy and I've suggested or advised a particular approach, and that is not the approach that uh, that ministers or government wants to take and I think that's absolutely fine I mean that that's my, my job as a civil servant is to advise it's for ministers to decide um, mm. and they of course are under no obligation to agree with my advice and if they decide a particular way then within those constraints on morality I, I um, uh, get on with implementing that as well uh, as possible. I think I'd also add that um, you know, one of the things I think is really interesting about working in, in government and politics is, is you're dealing with complex issues uh, mm. for which there is not um, a simple answer, or that, I mean, there often is a simple answer, but that simple answer tends to be wrong. Uh, mm. And uh, the reality is it is complicated and you're balancing different issues. Uh, so uh, I think when, if one's ever tempted to think, oh, I've got the monopoly of wisdom on 
uh, the approach to this? Uh, the answer is uh, almost always no, you haven't. Uh, you have one particular perspective and a number of other perspectives are also valid uh, and um, the, there's not a perfect way through. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking with Chris Barton, who is the UK's Trade Commissioner for Europe, a senior civil servant. Uh, Chris, being a Christian and working as a Trade Commissioner, uh, there must be challenges because you've got to be pretty robust when you are negotiating with other countries, with their trade negotiators. How do you get the balance right between being robust and being gracious and faithful? Thank you. And I, I, I very much agree. And I think it's um, uh, there's a useful uh, phrase that I have in mind that actually comes from a, a, a negotiations book that I think is very applicable in the Christian context, saying that you should be um, hard on the substance, soft on the people, by which mm. uh, I mean, it's, it's been very you know, clear and, and firm in advocating the, uh, your position and explaining why you think that is appropriate and, and arguing for the solution that works best for, for you or for the UK. Um, equally, you can do that by in a way that is engaging and respectful to the other side. And I think that is an important sort of balance uh, to get because otherwise the temptation is, on the one hand, you can be very sort of soft on the people and the substance and you don't actually get what you want on the other hand if you're very firm on the substance but also disrespectful to the other side um actually uh, where well, you may or may not get what you want in the short term i'm sure you don't get what you want in the long term and from a christian perspective it's just not a way you want to be so that's the sort of balance sort of to look to strike to be sort of firm firm on the mm. substance stand but always respectful and honest um, and decent with the, the other side um, and actually i would say it sort of works just you know example i was involved in uh, some of the Brexit negotiations um, after in, in 2020 when we're looking to agree the new, new deal having uh, you know left the EU uh, and of course there were pretty robust discussions sometimes uh, but uh, I ended with a good relationship with my commission opposite number uh, we're still in contact sometimes uh, and I think that was a nice example of where you can have very robust discussions on the substance um, mm. but still act in a way that you can you know, value each other as individuals uh, and, and be decent human beings to each other. That's a, a wonderful phrase. I think we'll borrow, I will be borrowing hard on substance, soft on people. The experience of Brexit post the referendum in 2016, but particularly between 2017 and 2019 in Parliament was um, about, I guess, bitterness, it felt, and relationships very much put under huge strain within and across parties for all of the feverish nature of discussions in Parliament over the last few days and weeks. It's nothing compared to what felt like outright hostility, an atmosphere that you could cut with a knife in Parliament during those Brexit votes. From your perspective, it seems as though you were able to, as a Christian, to be literally in those uh, in the rooms where the negotiations took place with the European Union and to come out of it having not lost friends, maybe even gained friends, while still um, playing hardball? Uh, Yes, I I think there's no getting away. It was a a pretty tough series of years, wasn't it? We went went through different different phases as to work on trade uh, before the referendum. And so it's been involved where government position was very very much for for staying in the the EU. And then we had those years, as you say, after the referendum, 
where I think sort of co collectively there was a lot of sort of uh, interest in trying to see it. Was there a, a sort of middle way of being outside the EU, but still having a number of the benefits? Um, uh, and then uh, more recently being very clear, we're fully out of the EU, we're in a free trade agreement relationship. Uh, but I'd say in, in all of those, um, I've sort of, you know, worked closely with counterparts in, in Europe uh, through all those different phases. Uh, and, and yes, it's, it's been very important, I think, both so personally and professionally to maintain those uh, positive and constructive relationships and say, you know, whatever our relationship with the, with the European Union as an institution, we still have enormous shared interests in working collaboratively and promoting trade and encouraging investment. Uh, and that, uh, that still stands. I think also um, it, it's interesting so that, that the whole sort of Brexit process. Uh, I think one of the reasons I sort of reflect why I think it was very painful for a lot of people, wherever they were coming on from the spectrum, is that I, I think so sort of collectively we weren't always great at respecting different views and understanding each other's views. I felt sometimes it sort of, there could be a bit of a dialogue of the deaf between mm. sides. And I think it's a good example of where a Christian perspective can, can help with a sort of a degree of, uh, you know, humility, recognizing that uh, you know, reasonable, sensible people can have different views on these things, and that will always or ultimately you're know, making a bit of a balance between different different pros and, and cons. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, as, as Christians, I think it's important for us to try and keep that sort of humanity in the debate and respect that, um, yeah, you can may disagree very strongly with someone on this detail of the issue but that doesn't make them a bad person uh, it doesn't make them a fool uh, it just means they have a different perspective uh, and that's I think really important for us to show that respect. I think that's really really wise I think I, I see maybe with the minority of people on both sides of the debate still um, uh, in 2022 there'll be those who want nothing to do with the European Union and think that um, it is somehow backsliding on Brexit to have relationships with the EU and to be anyway positive towards them and on the other hand you'll have people who perhaps will the UK to do badly outside the EU almost to prove Brexit to be have been a mistake uh, I, I think we'll probably both agree that that is those two perspectives are, are wrong how do we get through um, the kind of emotional baggage that all of us perhaps still have with us, uh, even now Brexit has happened? Well, I'd, I'd say so. My, my experience talking to both just the governments and, and businesses uh, throughout uh, the European Union is, is uh, people have come a very long way. Of course, it, it's, it's been uh, an emotional journey for people, in, in, again, from different perspectives over that time. Uh, but again and again, I have conversations where we're saying, okay, you know, Brexit is there, people can have liked it or not liked it, but it's happened, it's in the past, uh, let's now look on uh, to the future, and there are enormous opportunities in terms of trade, in terms of investment, in terms of wider cooperation, uh, so um, I think uh, I sometimes joke talking to people saying, you know, whatever your views on Brexit, please don't share them, because we've all heard every argument a hundred times, and it's sort of history. Uh, let's get on with uh, exploiting the enormous opportunities that are to work together uh, from from now and not not relitigate uh, all the, uh, the the debates that we had endlessly over many years. Yeah, I mean, just as a quick a quick opinion from me as someone who would love us to be back in the EU at some point, I'm absolutely clear 
that it's far better for the UK to rejoin at some point from a position of strength than a position of weakness. We want the UK to succeed. Um, and just a final question for, for you, really, Chris. We've spoken to many guests on this show who are frontline politicians, party leaders, ministers, former ministers. Um, but for many Christians who want to make a difference, they might think they have to stand for office to become a member of parliament or a member of the Scottish parliament or the Welsh Senate. But there are many ways of making a difference and having a real position of influence, um, including and especially the position that you've got. What would you say to those listening about this very different opportunity out there for Christians to serve within politics? Yeah, well, th thank you. I, I very much agree. I think, um, well, I, I think so work in general provides uh, enormous opportunities uh, from a Christian perspective. And it's actually a great blessing. I think it's tempting for us sometimes, isn't it, to see work as a, something else. It'd be, it'd be lovely not to have. Um, actually, I think, you know, work, work is an, an enormous blessing. And if you're uh, doing something that is delivering a product or a service uh, that is the value to other people. I think that is very much a part of, of, of living as, as a Christian. Um, certainly in my experience, uh, it has provided great opportunities to, to strengthen uh, my faith in terms of well, it's the heart of uh, everything really in the Christian life is that uh, personal relationship with God. Uh, and I am um, just so encouraged uh, so frequently in terms of being able to address issues at work uh, in a way where I can bring them before God and pray and seek for the help and guidance uh, and amazingly that is sort of provided um, in a sort of undramatic but unmistakable ways I'd say it really really strengthens uh, uh, my faith so that is it's very encouraging and I'd say in terms of the uh, actually the, the job itself uh, you know, I, I do genuinely believe that trade and investment um, is uh, a, a great good in a, a lovely phrase that has actually been used in a, in a white paper recently. It talks about business bringing joy and jobs uh, across the country. And, and I think that is true, that um, uh, trade business does bring joy and jobs and anything to do to support and encourage that uh, is therefore a way of sort of serving and encouraging uh, other people. Um, and also just in the workplace, uh, particularly sort of in the way that we engage with colleagues and the way that uh, we lead teams and so on. Um, I, well, I find you know, great opportunities to be uh, hopefully uh, a supportive, encouraging, kind uh, sort of boss and, uh, and leader and colleague and provide good service to, to ministers and so forth. Of course, I get it wrong most of the time, uh, but it does provide a field in which I think we can have a really materially positive impact on other people if we do it right. So I would really encourage people if, if they're attracted for, for to civil service. Uh, personally, I've, I've found it just a, a fascinating place to work over, over 20 years now. So many opportunities that are both really interesting and give an opportunity to, uh, to do good to others. So um, uh, yeah, I'd heartily recommend it. Chris, you've sold it really, really well. Um, it's been a real, real blessing to, to speak with you and to get a real insight into what you do and the real importance of that role and the experiences that you've had, particularly through Brexit. But actually, it's been fascinating and really encouraging to hear just what you've said now about how we approach the world of work as Christians. I think there's a whole uh, additional story there for us to look at. But I think it, I've personally found it really encouraging um, and persuasive. So, Chris, it's been a real joy to have you with us. All the best. 
Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to be on and, uh, and to meet. Thank you. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I'd love to hear from you and, and attempt to answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, Anna in Peterborough has been in touch and she says, as an MP, you must face a range of receptions, positive and negative. Do you have any advice for people with a tendency to worry about what others think of them? It's a great question, Anna. I've often said that I think the vice or the temptation that most challenges Christians in politics isn't the lurid stuff you read about in the tabloids, it's vanity. As somebody once said, uh, politics is showbiz for ugly people, which is a rather facetious thing to say, but it, it implies that maybe we rather enjoy having our faces on the telly and being in uh, public view. Of course, as a, as a politician in a democracy, popularity is kind of your currency. But we can also find that we rather enjoy it, that we have this need to be loved. And maybe that's what draws us in in the first place. I say all this as a kind of observation rather than any kind of advice. So what does it mean for us as politicians when we have positive or negative reviews, so to speak? Well, the danger is that you can let it go to your head if people say you're wonderful. And the danger is that you can absolutely go to your heart if people say that you're terrible. Let's remember as Christians that essentially we're playing to an audience of one. Our reputations do matter. They matter to us and they also matter in a practical way because our ability to convince people depends upon people thinking we're trustworthy in the first place. That probably means for me, the things that I find most painful are insults or criticisms that are about my integrity, whereas on my opinions, I can probably live with the assault. And the danger on the other side is that if I am told that I'm a terribly good person as opposed to a terribly right person, that can affect me and make me pompous and vain. And so as Christians, we just need to remember to be humble, to walk humbly with our God. Um, and we are always going to be affected what people say about what people say about us and to us. But let's remember, there's an audience of one that we're playing to, and it's only his views that really matter. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's end in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we lift up to you after nearly two months of conflict, the people of Ukraine. Um, we thank you for sustaining them and strengthening them. We pray for justice, um, that those who are guilty of evil uh, would be held to account and indeed brought to justice, that there would be repentance and there would be justice. We pray for uh, your protection of the people of Ukraine. Uh, we pray for innocence to be safeguarded. We pray for the towns, the villages and cities, the hospitals and the schools and all the infrastructure of Ukraine to be protected. In your supernatural power, we ask that you would ensure that justice is done and the innocents are protected. Lord, we lift up to you the leaders of our country. We're aware of the strife and turmoil going on around the Prime Minister. And we pray for wisdom for the Prime Minister and indeed for all leaders of parties and ministers and members of parliament, um, that you would bring stability and integrity to our government and a just and right outcome to the current uh, travails. 
And Father, as we approach the local elections on the 5th of May, we want to lift up to you all of those who have kind of put themselves in harm's way to be candidates for election. We particularly lift up to you our brothers and sisters in Christ from all political parties and none who are on ballot papers in just a few days' time. We pray that you'd uh, strengthen them uh, in their remaining days of the campaign. And we pray that the right results would happen. And we also ask that Christians would uh, accept the results um, win or lose, there won't be a draw, um, over the uh, days after the election with grace and magnanimity, honouring you and bearing witness to your name. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget that you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. Thanks for being with us.